and amen. You may be seated in the house of God. So good to be here today. How many are happy to be in God's house? Amen. How many know we need mercy on this land right now? God wants to show mercy, and we have to ask for it. Mercy on this land. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Today we're going to be talking about the church in Smyrna. Somebody say Smyrna. Smyrna. It's one of my favorite beaches in Florida. If you ever hang around the south, you might hear a bunch of places named after places in the Bible. This is one of them, Smyrna. Today we're going to learn to not give up in our times of suffering. Somebody say, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Thank you. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Good to see everybody here. Revelation chapter 2 verse 8 Jesus is talking, and he says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know what you are about ready to suffer. He's going to get to it, but how many know they're still rich in Christ? He says, I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about ready to suffer. So they're rich, not in the worldly way, but they're about ready to suffer. Come on, somebody. It says, don't be afraid about what you're going to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. How many days? 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as the victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Can you enlarge it just one more time for me, please, on the notes? Thank you. I want to make sure everybody gets what we're going to say today. I'm going to help them real quick. Can you guys just talk amongst yourselves and say, are you ready to suffer for Jesus? Because I have a lot of notes here. Just talk to them. All right. I want you guys to look up here at this chart. This chart basically shows us how Jesus is speaking to his churches. How many remember the first church we talked about in Revelation? Do you remember? It's right up there. It's Ephesus. He usually comes in with a a greeting or a declaration about who he is, and then he goes to the praise of that church, and then he's going to sandwich that praise with a rebuke. And then he's going to give them some instruction and end with some praise or a warning. And then he's going to talk about what he's going to do in the earth. And so what we see in the church of Ephesus is that they had a rebuke not to lose their first love. How many remember that message? Do you remember that? Amen. But you see there's no rebuke here for Smyrna. Smyrna is one of the two churches that doesn't get a rebuke. Oftentimes we think that if uh, you know somebody has a problem and we're dealing with a problem person that that we have to admit our problems for them to admit their problems. I don't necessarily agree with that. Sometimes when I'm doing counseling, somebody will start bringing up somebody else's issues, and I'm like, listen, this person don't have the issues you have. It's not even appropriate to bring it up. You're 100% wrong. A lot of times people can't deal with that. They're like, well, I'm 99% wrong. Maybe they're 1%. No, no, no. Sometimes you just got to own it. you 100% on this. Every issue that I deal with in the church and I'm counseling marriage, marriages and stuff, I do try to see where maybe this person might have made a mistake, where this person might have made a mistake and try to bring them together. But I want you guys to understand this. This church had no rebuke against it. 
This church was the kind of church that when Jesus looked at it, he didn't say, hey, man, get this in order, get that in order, I'm going to come and spank your behind, whatever. No, he looked right at him and said, good job. I see what you're doing. So I want you know, that to be something that we look at in the body of Christ because oftentimes we see the goals of being perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect and these different things, and we go, well, nobody's perfect. You know, it's almost like Laodicea, when they get their whooping, it, it, you know, and get told that, you know, God says, you make me puke, that, that they want to now look back at all the other churches. Well, you, you know, you said something bad about every church. No, he didn't. I want to be the kind of church, I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of church that Jesus does not have anything bad to say about it. I want to be the kind of marriage where no one can say something about my marriage, and if you want to make it up, that's okay. We're going to talk about a little bit of that today, how people try to make up things about me, but I want the truth to remain as a testimony to Jesus Christ. And so today we're talking about Smyrna, if we can go now to the passage again. just want to work it through and do my best because we're going to apply this, but i got to teach it before I preach it. Can I hear an amen? Amen. He says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, we have learned that that is a pastor. If you don't understand that, you can go back into our previous notes, into chapter 1 where we get to decipher the code to understand who an angel is there. A lot of times people think angels are winged heavenly creatures. They're not. In the Bible, angels do not have wings. Seraphim and cherubim have wings. Angels just mean messenger. Humans can be messengers, and spirit creatures from heaven can be messengers. When spirit creatures from heaven come to give messages, that's all that angelos means is a messenger. So the proper translation to avoid the confusion would be to the messenger of the church in Smyrna, right? So I don't believe he's talking to an angelic being like in heaven. Hey, you're the, you're the angel of Smyrna. Let me talk to you about this. No, he's literally talking to the one that's giving the messages, someone like me in Smyrna. And we've deciphered that in, in chapter 1. But just to help you understand, when Gabriel came to visit Mary, when others, uh, Michael, came to visit Daniel, they don't come with wings. In Genesis chapter 18, they don't come with wings. The cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant, they have two wings. The seraphim have six wings. That's what Isaiah sees. That's what we see in heaven uh, around the throne. And then there are faces on them, some like animals, some like humans. It's a little bit weird, but we'll get into that later. But the bottom line, is I believe he's speaking to the pastor. I believe he's speaking to the leader. And he says about himself, these are the words of the first and the last who was dead and came back to life again. How many are ready to celebrate Resurrection Sunday? How many are ready to spring out of the winter and to spring into a new season celebrating the resurrection of Jesus? That's who he is. He is the only one, listen, he is the only one to have died, resurrected physically, and ascend to heaven. Enoch and Elijah, Elijah rather, did not die but ascended to heaven. So he is the only one that has the first fruit of the resurrection. That's why he is called the firstborn from among the dead. And we will be like him when we die, have resurrection, and be with him forever. That is called the second life. If we are born again, we experience the second life. If we die without Christ, we experience the second death, which is brought up at the end. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. How many know Jesus knows what you're going through? There is nothing greater to have that be said to you. And I want to really just park here for a moment. Jesus knows what every single one of us is going through. Your own family members may not know. People you love may not know. People you trust may not know. And maybe they can't know. Maybe it's not even for them to know. But Jesus knows what you and I go through. And it even says here he knows their poverty. 
And the reason was, it wasn't because they were not willing to work or do good things. It was because at this time, the Roman Empire was stealing all their properties from them, stealing all their goods from them, putting them on the run and treating them as a persecuted group because we're going to be learning about that in just a few moments. But Jesus says, I know. Everyone here, be encouraged by this. Even if you don't think somebody else knows, know this today. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. When you want to know how much Jesus loves you, look at the cross. He loves you this much. Seriously, remember that. No matter what you're going through, he loves you this much. On the cross, he takes our pain. He takes our suffering. He knows what you have gone through. The infinite God allowed his son to receive all that we would consider sin, sorrow and sickness on the cross. That's Isaiah chapter 53. And, and, you know, if you look back into history, they may not have understood how Jesus could have done that. But now in the information age, we understand how information can be downloaded. An entire library can be downloaded onto your phone. How can a person in moments in time experience all of human history? The spiritual download of heaven. Just think about that. All the information, all of the pain, all of the sorrow downloaded into Jesus's soul. That is why it's not just a good man dying for a good cause. Jesus is not just like Braveheart or someone laying down their life like that. Jesus is the God-man experiencing in his soul all of humanity's suffering, all of it. In those moments of time, he is able to experience it. In those moments of time, he's able to see all of our sorrows, all of our sufferings. He took our, the Bible literally says he took our sickness upon him. Somehow on that cross, he understood what it was like to have leukemia. He understood what it was like to be born with physical handicaps. He understood what it was like to be molested or to be abused, to be raped. Sin, sorrow, sickness upon the soul of Jesus. Literally, the Bible says he became sin. For us, so that in him we might become righteous. And in other scriptures it says so that we might be healed. And in other places so that we might be given joy. He became what we were so that we might become what he is. Never forget that. That's why he says, I know. It's not just like I know, like I'm watching it. He's saying, I know because there on the cross, past, present, and future downloaded to his soul. He's saying, I know. I know what you've gone through. I have felt it. I have seen it. I have endured it with you. So Jesus is the only one who can walk through every situation of your life and, and, and just say these words, I know. I know. And I don't know about you, but I've been through some hard times in life and being in my prayer closet and hearing Jesus say that back to me, that he knew what I was going through was all I needed to have the tears come down and the peace rush into my heart, that he knows he knows our emotional difficulties. He knows our physical pains. And he knows the sins that we have done. He knows them. He knows them intimately and what it has done to hurt us and to hurt others. He then goes on to say, I also know. Somebody say, he also knows. The slander. The things that other people are saying. It's one thing to be hurting on the inside. It's one thing to be, be you know, broke and busted and disgusted because people are messing with you and all that. It's a whole nother thing for people to continually talk about you and misrepresent you. I want you to understand this, that every time in human history when Christians have been done wrong, they didn't just do them wrong for the things that were clear and obvious. They also said all kinds of evil and slander against them. They didn't just say, we're killing you because you love Jesus. That's the only reason why we're killing you. No, they said, we're killing you because you guys are cannibals. Why are we cannibals? Oh, because when you take communion, you think you're eating Jesus. 
Catholics got, gave them a good reason to believe that after a while, but are you listening? We're like, no, this is the symbol. No, but you're cannibals. Another one, Nero, said, well, you're responsible for the fire in Rome. Why? Because you're all dirty and filthy people. You're responsible. Making up lies about them. You guys practice incest. You guys are disgusting. They couldn't just say, we're killing you because you're Christians. They had to kill them because of all these other reasons that they tacked onto it. And they would make themselves look better as they would kill them in the arenas as we're about ready to go to. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Hold on here. This is not just the slander of Caesar. This is not just the slander of some pagan philosopher. Now it gets specific. These are the slanders of your own countrymen, because most of the early Christians were Jews. Most of the, uh, the Christians at that time still were a part of their local Jewish synagogues. And Jesus says, I know those who are slandering you, and guess what? They think they're on my team. They're acting like they're on my team and that they're going to the synagogue. That makes them all right. He said, I'm going to tell you something about them. They're really not Jews. They're not my people. And they go to the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> That's sassy Jesus. I want to read that on the Oprah Winfrey show. A lot of these Christians you have coming on here, Oprah, they're fake, and they come from the church of Satan. Well, you're not supposed to judge. I didn't judge. I'm just telling you what the judge said. The judge said that there are people who are fake and that they really come from a place of satanic origin. Now, if that can happen in that day, why not in our day? We've seen Christians attack other Christians, and we know we're not going to agree about everything. I don't always agree with my wife on everything. I don't always agree with myself on everything. You ever argue with yourself? Sometimes you're in the checkout line looking at that Snickers, and you're like, I want it. No, you don't. You're fat. No, I'm okay. I'll work it off tomorrow. No, you're not going to work it off tomorrow. You never work it. And you're in an argument in your head, and all of a sudden you just talk out loud, shut up. People look at you like, who are you talking to? Oh, man. Get away from me, Satan. You know, we argue with our, of course we're not going to get around each other and always agree. I understand that. We may not always agree in this church, so we give room for discussion, debate, and all of that. But I'm talking about full-on slander. I'm talking about when you put down a church. If you want to see how we get put down, look at the Google ratings on this church, calling us a cult, saying that we're racist, you know, saying that a black person is racist, you know, while, you know, they're trying to defend black people. I mean, it's just the most ludicrous thing. People who have come from Cuba as immigrants starting a store in Nini's Deli being told that they're not really a person of color or understanding what it's like to come up as a minority. I mean, people will slander and say things to you. But they'll, they'll still try to be religious. Not every snake looks like a snake when they come to you. Some are sneaky little snakes. Not every wolf is going to look like a wolf when they come to you. Sometimes they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus said, I know. I know it's frustrating for you to deal with it because they're fooling a lot of other people. But Jesus is saying back to these wonderful saints here, I know. Somebody say, Jesus knows. Then we get to the heart of the message. If you could highlight, please, the first part of uh, verse 10. He says, do not be afraid about what you're going to suffer. You are going to suffer. Jesus knows that it's going to get even worse for them. He says some of you are going to be put into prison. Some of you are going to be put to death, and it's going to last 10 days. I don't think that's a metaphorical for a certain amount of time. I literally believe it's 10 days. He's preparing them for 10 days of intense suffering. And he's saying back to them, I know it's coming, and I know you may be scared, 
but do not be afraid. I don't know about you, but those are comforting words because I have been afraid during my times of suffering. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things we've experienced here in a church and at our church, but I want to encourage you today not to be afraid. The thing that we hear from all the Christians around the world who have experienced suffering is this over and over and over again, that they were comforted by Jesus being with them and that they found strength, not in their own selves, but in the strength of God. And Jesus promised them that. Now, some of you, and i got to just once again park here for a few moments because some of you may want to argue like the atheist, the agnostic, and that's okay. We love them. They're wrong and foolish, but we love them. But they may want to just bring up the question, well, if God is so good and he's knowing the future that this bad thing is going to happen, why doesn't he just stop it? Just stop the bad thing. This is what we have to understand from our book. Somebody say our book. Somebody say my Bible. If you're going to try to use my Bible to contradict me, let me teach you from the Bible first, Okay. In our Bible, we were given the choice. We were told to choose the tree of life or the tree of knowledge and good and evil. We were told if we ate from the knowledge of tree of good and evil, that we would surely die. When Adam and Eve ate from that tree, death came upon this earth. At this point, our God had two choices. To let us as a human race die, because he doesn't start without knowing the end. So all of us in the posterity of Adam and Eve would have come forth one way or another, God starts, and he knows the end. Are you guys tracking with me? There's the human race. And some of you say, well, he could just start over one at a time. He's not going to play that game. He already knows we're going to do it over and over and over again. Adam 2020, take two, you know, or take 2020. You know, Adam, this. No, no, it's, it's the human race is going to play out one of two ways. The human race now, because of that decision, will all exist in eternal damnation forever because that's what they have decided. So forever, we're separated from God. Your existence starts in hell, and it never ends in hell. That's option one. Option two is God works out hell by bringing heaven in, and he gives us a choice now to be a part of that. So you get another choice. You get a second chance at this. Now, some people try to be very sassy, and they go, well, I don't like the fact that I'm in either one of these situations. Well, let me just help you understand something. You're not God. That's a problem you cannot get out of now. You exist, and you're obviously not the God who created everything. So now you are in these two decisions, whether you like it or not. And I, and I, I always take it, you know me, I always take it to the very, very end of these philosophical discussions. I always get so deep because then somebody goes, well, I don't like the game. I don't like the game God's playing. I'm just going to take myself out of it. What you're going to realize when you do that and your body hits the ground, your soul is standing before your maker. You are not getting yourself out of it. This is the predicament. Now, I've talked to some people, and they go, well, I just don't believe I exist. Then I ask them, who's talking to me? And if you don't believe you exist, can I have the money that's in this person's pocket right here? Can I use that for missions? You know, can I borrow your car? I have somebody in the church that needs one. But you see the, the, the extremes they will go to to get out of what they face when they get angry with God. If you're looking at our book and you're going to judge it appropriately, I mean, if you're going to look at Lord of the Rings and like it or not like it, judge it appropriately by the author's intent. The author's intent of our book is very simple. We had a choice. We blew it. Now in the second chance, we get to go through the evil of the world with Jesus, see heaven come to earth, and as a matter of fact, the one who suffers more as a man is our God in the flesh, so he knows all those things we go through. So we never go through it alone. Amen? So once again, he says, I know it's going to come. He's not stopping it. I'm okay with the God that works out evil for good. 
Some of you only want a God that makes your life roses, yellow brick roads, and singing in the rain. And I'm telling you, that is not the God of the Bible. You will become bitter towards the God of the Bible if you are expecting him to do that for you because that's not the message of our Bible. The message of our Bible is not some superficial prosperity or some meditation on the top of a Himalayan mountainside where you deny everything and just find yourself being like a little drop of water in the big droplet of water of life. No, no, no. You will feel real pain in this world. And you will not be able to run away from it if you have enough sense to know you're part of this world. Like I said, Himalayan people try to run away from it, and then they deny suffering altogether. But that is still a cowardly way out. All of us who want to interact with each other will feel pain. All of us who want to be a part of helping others. Because remember, the Buddhist who's running away from suffering is doing nothing for the starving children down there in the village. So just denying everything as you try to pretend you're a droplet in the ocean of life is, is baloney. It doesn't help anybody, and it doesn't even help you. You can walk on rice paper, so what? You know, at one, at one point, you got to be Batman and come down there and do something. Amen? Anybody, anybody watch Batman? <laughs> Batman took all that Himalayan stuff and came down and did some stuff to become a fighter for justice. At some point, whatever you're fighting with in here, it's got to be resolved so you can help others. But follow my point here. In the real world of interacting with people, we will be suffering, and there will be a lot of brokenness. A lot of brokenness, and our Bible talks about it, but here's the thing. He picks up all the pieces, and he makes something beautiful out of it. And it's like a mosaic. Maybe you've seen it of Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan or some former president where you can see them taking clippings of, of newspapers or taking pottery or something, and you don't really know what it looks like until it's all put together. You step back, and then you're like, oh, I see what this has made. We will not understand God's beautiful plan of how he has used evil for the good of those who love him until we get to heaven, stand back next to the artist, and see what he did through the tapestry of our lives. And my last thing to say about this is do not let evil keep you from a good God. Just because there is evil in the world does not mean there is not a good God. You would not know evil unless you know good. You would not know sanity, and you would not know insanity unless you knew sanity. Okay, you have to have a base to start from to recognize good versus evil. You have to have a base to start from to recognize recognize rationality versus irrationality. And so the default, the default is God wants good. The default is God wants us to be rational. The default is God wants us to be uh, joyful and to follow his plan for our lives. But through the wickedness of a fallen angel and through the wickedness of people, we have to trust him and be tested. And the testing is not not for God to play with us like we're his little lab rats. It's for us to make sure we want Jesus. Do you want Jesus or do you just want golden streets? Do you want Jesus or do you just want riches? Because he will test you to show you what you want. It's not that he doesn't know what you're going to whether or not you're going to pass or fail. He's testing you so you'll know whether you're going to pass or fail. The test is for us. Somebody say the test is for me to get a testimony. Come on, out of messes come messages, out of tests comes testimonies. And what they are going to suffer is coming. And it's going to be for 10 days, and some are going to die. And then he says, be faithful. Somebody say, be faithful. So he tells them right from the beginning, I know what you're going through. I know what they're saying about you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Be faithful. Don't give up. Keep your faith. And then it says that I will give you life as a victor's crown. Please help me out, brother. Thank you. How many want life as a victor's crown? Amen. So he says, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. 
the one who is victorious will not be hurt by the second death. Remember, you're either going to die twice or you're going to live twice. It's up to you. I'm going to live twice. That's why I was born again. So when the first death happens, I never die again. But those of you who are not born again, you're going to die twice, physically, then spiritually, for eternity in hell. Make sure you're born again. Walk with Christ all the days of your life. Be faithful to the end. Amen? And he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because of the goodness of your ability or what you or I have done, but because Christ in us could do all things. Amen? Christ in us was greater than he that was in the world. Let's talk about Christian persecution. Would you scroll down for me, please? They said they were going to, uh, Jesus rather said they were going to be persecuted. You want to know how they were persecuted? Let's look at this. Stephen was stoned, preached his first message, died that day. James, the brother of John, was beheaded. Philip was crucified. This was a popular form of death at that time by the Romans. Matthew was beaten to death. James, Jesus' brother, was stoned. Matthew, beheaded. Andrew, crucified. Mark, beaten to death. Peter, crucified upside down. Jesus was crucified right side up. Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like him. Crucify me upside down. Paul was beheaded. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was crucified. Thomas was speared. He went to India and got speared. Luke was hung on a tree to die. Simon was also crucified. Now, here are some stories that I want to share with you. I have the links for the sources. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Timothy, one of the books, or two of the books is named after him, the disciple of Paul, died in 97 AD when he went to preach at a pagan festival. They beat him with clubs. They drug him through the streets, and as a man that uh, was beaten to death, basically, and stoned, rather, he died a few days later. later. So they beat him within an inch of his life, and a few days later, he died. The other one that I wanted to highlight is Polycarp. Why am I highlighting these two? The first church that we went over was the church of Ephesus. Timothy was their pastor. The second church we've gone over is Smyrna. He says they're going to be persecuted. Polycarp was their pastor. The book of uh, Revelation was written right around 80-90 A.D. Polycarp died in the late 90s. So he was probably the angel, the messenger, who received this letter and said, Guys, go. I got some good news and I got some bad news. Uh, the good news is we didn't get rebuked like Laodicea. Uh, we didn't get told the things that the other churches were told. We're doing awesome. Uh, here's the bad news. For 10 days, we're going to be persecuted and killed. But he says he'll be with us. More good news. He'll never leave us. Polycarp was an old man. They were looking to kill him. He ran and hid, was exposed by a child. He was asked by the guards to come back to Rome. He willingly came, but he said, let me pray one hour. So he prayed and willingly came with these guards. Then he was brought before the judge, and the judge said, renounce this foolish faith and we'll let you live. And this is how he responded here at the end. Polycarp says, right before he dies. 80 years, excuse me, 86 years have I served Christ, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And then they, I believe, burned him alive. Let's go through some more uh, statistics here that are happening even around the world and that have happened in times past. It's even happening today. Trust me, we're going to get to it. But let's keep reminding ourselves of what happened in the past. First 300 years of the Roman Empire, Christians were the most hated group. They were killed continually. Let me tell you some stories here. Peter, a young man, had superior qualities of body and mind, was beheaded because he didn't uh, sacrifice to Venus. And they were mocking him. 
And he said to them basically this, Venus is so wicked, if somebody did what she did as a god, if somebody did it here, you would punish them. She, he said, no, I, won't, I, I will only offer the true God acceptable sacrifice of praise and prayers. Upon hearing this, the proconsul of Asia then stretched him on a wheel, broke all of his bones, and beheaded him. Not only did they want to kill the Christians, they wanted to torture them to see if they would renounce Christ during these times. Going on to the next story, we see that Agatha, she was a Sicilian lady, and the stories about here is that she was beautiful. And this one man, Quintation, wanted her to be a prostitute in his harem of sexual deviancy, and she wouldn't do it because she was a Christian. As you scroll down here, he finds out that it's really his, her Christianity that won't allow her to be so wicked. On confessing that she was a Christian, he determined to gratify his revenge as he could uh, not get his passion. So he scourged her, burnt her with red-hot irons, tore her with sharp hooks. Then even after all of that, laid her naked on live coals, intermingled with glass, and then brought her back to prison where she died. So imagine all of you young ladies here being told to be the prostitute of a Roman empire, a Roman emperor rather, upon not doing that, basically being naked and humiliated and burned and scourged in front of people. And then she died. That was for her faith in Jesus Christ. As we go on to the next one, these two uh, eminent men were seized and imprisoned. Now look at this. They pierced their legs. The Romans were no notorious for their violence. They pierced their, their feet basically with nails, attach rope to those nails and then drug them through the entire city and then set them on fire. And after they set them on fire, beheaded them. Here an old man, didn't matter if you're old or young, here an old man with gout was put onto the backs of camels, severely scourged, and then thrown into a fire. So once again, multiple things happening. Forty virgins, and understand at this time, virgin is just a young lady, so 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Forty virgins, if you could please help me out, sir, thank you. Forty virgins, after being imprisoned and in scourge, were then burnt alive. So they took them from their family. They then beat them. They scourged them, and then after they didn't renounce, they set them on fire and burned them in front of everybody. Here another time, 300 Christians were rounded up and put in front of a kiln. The kiln was used to put in sacrifices and other things to their gods. They were told, you either sacrifice to our gods or we're throwing you in there. They then had no other choice but to jump in there because they wouldn't sacrifice to their gods. Can we just for a moment think about what Christianity went through and all that we have to learn from these wonderful saints. Once again, we now today still see it. But isn't it just something when we look back at our heritage? And this was all cultures, by the way. Don't let anybody draw this out as this is a white Christian thing. There were people from Africa, the Middle East, Asia, young and old. This was a multicultural group of people just like us here today, all being killed simply for their faith in Jesus Christ. I have a few statistics that I want to go through later, but right now I want to show you some pictures. So if you could go to the first image that we have, which kind of depicts, you know, what it probably was like. Can you imagine this? It's not that they're just going to die like a hero's death, like, oh, man, they're dying for such a good cause. They're dying at cheers and laughter and mockings. I mean, just remember Jesus when he was on the cross. They spit on Jesus. They mocked Jesus. Hey, you did all these miracles for others. Why don't you do a miracle and come down? This was the sight of what it was like for 300 years in Rome. They were eaten by wild beasts, Ignatius, a, a famous Christian author was eaten by a wild lion. 
Can you imagine? 300, one of the stories said, rounded up. Could you imagine this church rounded up, put into Soldier Stadium, told to deny Christ or we're going to die in front of all of these people as they mock and laugh at us. Why were they ridiculed to that point? They were ridiculed because they would not say that there was any other lords. See, that was the thing. That's, that's the point that so many people miss because when the persecution comes on us in this culture, they always think it's stupid Christian, stupid Christian. That's not real, that's not real persecution. It is. You see, in this culture, at this time, all they had to do in some cases was take a little pinch of incense and just throw it towards a fire once a year and say, Caesar is Lord. You see, all the different cultures that interacted with Rome had no problem doing that. They did trading with India. They did trading with Asia. They did trading with, you know, the, what they called the savages above, you know, the, the people from the Nordic countries. I mean, they, they, the barbarians as they were known. They, they had no problem with this God, that God. They had no problem. Just as long as everybody in Rome once a year would take a little bit of incense and just say Caesar is Lord. That sounds familiar to us as Christians, doesn't it? But we have a different name there, don't we? It was no coincidence that the message of the Christians became Jesus is Lord. They could have said anything else. They could have said Jesus is God. They could have been known for saying Jesus is Savior. Why is it Christians became known for saying Jesus is, is, is Lord? Curios. Isil Cristo is curious. Why were they known for that? Because they knew that that just cut through everything. If you want to know who I am, let me tell you who I am. Jesus is Lord. I don't need to explain anything else to you. You now know where I'm at. I didn't, they didn't have to have long conversations and say, well, I respect this one and that. No, because they knew the Romans brought it all down to that. Are you going to bow and say Caesar is Lord and then go back to worshiping your gods from India and China? Or are you going to be one of these Christ followers who only acknowledges one Lord? And when they said, Christ is Lord, and there is no other, by him and his name alone are all men saved. By his name and through, by his throne every knee will bow and confess him Lord. That was their death sentence. That was their death sentence for their children. That was their death sentence for their families. That was now Rome's permission, in other words, to torture them. And now everybody else could sit back and go, stupid Christians. I'm a worshiper of Jupiter, and I have no problem saying Caesar is Lord. I'm a worshiper of Krishna. I come from India, and I, and I have no problem saying Caesar is Lord. What's wrong with you dirty, filthy Christians? Just say what we're saying and get along. And these Christians obviously said, for us, it's everything. Who is Lord means everything. And so now I want to show you some pictures from modern-day persecution. Before we do, before we do, I want to make sure any children or parents who don't want children to see this, maybe cover their eyes, whatever you feel is appropriate, okay? This is in Nigeria in our lifetime. Let me explain to you why these Christians were burned and their churches bombed. Let me help us understand what's going on right now in parts of the world. Most of it's Islamic and communist. In Africa about 100 years ago, the Muslim missionaries began to come. They had been there much earlier, but just take this simplified version here. About 100 years ago, Muslim and Christian missionaries started really reaching Africa. Africa was mostly tribal pagan at that time. The Muslims and Christians were about 
Some would become Muslim, some would become Christian. Depending on how fast the missionaries got where they went, this is what began to happen. But over time, and right around the time of what we call the Azusa Street Revival and the Pentecostal uh, faith, how we see things, began to get organized, Africa became overwhelmingly Christian. And the Muslims began to fight, no longer with their words and a worldview, but they began to become extreme, which in my opinion is more normal to what Muhammad was like. Muhammad tortured people with fire. I could show you that, but that's another discussion. In Nigeria, we basically won the nation. Christians won. We won the nation of Nigeria. But Boko Haram and others like them, maybe you've heard about them, have now acted out against the Christian communities. They come into the outskirt communities and they begin to kidnap the children. Same thing as before. They torture them. They have sex with them. If they don't go along with it, they kill them. They steal the children, make them become a part of their armies if they don't, torture, kill them. They go to their churches, burn them alive in the middle of their services. It's happening even right now. Let's go to the next picture. Many of you have heard about ISIS, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan. Even during the times of peace, the Muslim extremists, or as what we would say, normal Muslims acting out according to their prophet, have bombed our churches, gone to the churches and suicide bombed. Christians have died alongside of their pews. Here we also see in Indonesia. Let's go to the next one. We see this beautiful young boy. He lost many of his friends when the churches were bombed in Indonesia. He was burned. Some of his friends were burned more severely or less severely, but some of them died. And these are the kinds of things that are happening all over the world right now. All over the world. Go on up, please. I want to give you some statistics to how much it's happening. Please, go up. Right now, on average, eight Christians are dying a day. Eight Christians. 182 churches are being attacked. And about 300 Christians are being imprisoned every month. And if you look at the globe, there are 260 million Christians right now that cannot do what we're doing right now. Worship in public and praise Jesus without being threatened unto death. Let's scroll all the way down to the chart, please. I want to show you now where all of these nations line up. Most of them are what we call the 1040 window. Oh, let's go up and honor these brother, beautiful brothers here. As I've talked about before, this was ISIS as well. These were Egyptian Christians in Libya working, and they got captured by ISIS as they came, and they were beheaded. But let me just share a little bit about this. Not only was this video publicized with pride by those who did it, but it actually became a recruitment tool for those in the West who were looking for meaning in life. They wanted to behead Christians as well. Believe it or not, many Westerners have been brought in by this propaganda to go fight for ISIS. You can study. People from America, Canada, Europe have gone over and, and done these. Why? Because in their mind, that is what their religion does. And so we as Christians have been lambs to the slaughter. And I want to say this because somebody may now say, well, what have Christians done? What have Christians done? First of all, whenever somebody says, what has a Christian done? We have to evaluate it by our book. Did Jesus ever set people on fire? Did Jesus ever own slaves? Is everybody listening to me? Did Jesus ever have a military? Did Jesus ever behead people? You see, when people do things in the name of Christianity, whether it was owning slaves, whether it was whatever, uh, you know, colonization or those different things, that was anti-Christian by the definition of Christ in our book. This is by definition Islam. This is by definition Hindu extremism. It is by definition in the, manifesto, the manifestos of communism, Marxism, and the different things that happen around the world. The worst place, believe it or not, is not 
is not, as, uh, scroll up for me, please, is not in the Middle East. It's actually in North Korea. But for the most part, we consider this a 1040 window. Is this Colombia? Who knows if this is Colombia? It is Colombia because I was going to share some more from Latin America. Right now, there's been over six pastors, I believe, in one year killed in Colombia. Pray for Colombia. The drug lords are upset with them because they're winning the criminals to the Lord, and it's tearing apart the drug cartels, and they've murdered some as many as two in a week. Two in a week. They find out, are you going to these meetings? Are you recruiting? Are you evangelizing? Our runners, our people, if, if you are, they kill them. They don't care if they're pastors or not. Look it up. Colombian pastors murdered. I just was seeing that not too long ago. So most of it's in the 1040 window, but where it's the worst is in North Korea. Would you scroll down a little bit, please? These are the nations that are ranked according to, as best as we know, the worst places to be a Christian that collectively make 260 million persecuted Christians around the world. Now let me ask you a question. Have you heard about this on the news? Are you hearing about this in your school? All the people you know that are for justice and they want to see justice done, have they talked about Christians and how they're suffering today? It's almost as if their silence is sending us a message. What do you think the silent message of the mainstream media entertainers and all of these justice warriors is sending to us? What is their silence telling us? They don't care. They don't care. Continually, Christians are being bombed. Continually, Christians are being burned. Continually, Christians are being kidnapped. Some who have escaped from the North Korean area, they say they have concentration camps just as bad as Nazi Germany. That some are so desperate that they're eating their own children, cannibalism, and that they're being done to them every single thing that they learned from Nazi Germany. And yet we don't hear about what's happening with Christians. We don't hear what's happening in Somalia. We always hear that Somalia is bad. You know, Somalia is bad. Why is it bad? It's because the Christians are being persecuted by the Muslims in that nation. Why is Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, those three? Because ISIS has rose up. And guess what all those places used to be? Christian. Christian. And we're not saying, once again, that every Christian nation has acted Christian, so forth and so on. But this is what they're doing to them. And now in these nations, especially the Muslim nations like Saudi Arabia, Maldives, Pakistan, Iran, etc., Yemen, Sudan. Look at those all Muslim nations. If you become a Christian, you deserve to die. You can look up Ali Dawah, Ali, Ali Dawah and the penalty of apostasy. He's a young Muslim in Europe, and he says, I have no problem with Sharia law. You turn your back on Islam, we have no problem killing you. And he is not what you would consider an extremist. He uses technology. He looks hip and cool as a young Muslim, but he is very honest with them. If we have Sharia law ruled by the Quran, and you are raised a Muslim, and you become a Christian, you are now a filthy rat to our culture. You don't deserve to live. You're going to change our culture. We have the right to behead you. We have the right to kill you. And we're proud of that. He says it over and over again. We are proud of this. And this is now on YouTube. And yet some of my friends who preach against this are taken down off of YouTube. The silence of the media, the silence of the entertainers is sending to us a message that they do not care about us as Christians. But it hasn't always been, only been rather, overseas. Persecution actually came here. I want you to understand this. 
All of these years I've been preaching about persecution. And by the way, Berto, would you hold up those bracelets, please? Come see Berto if you want a bracelet of the underground church represented in barbed wire. We'll get these to you at the end of service. They're free. They cost money, but we buy them to give away for free. And if you go to Open Doors, you can purchase more or spread the word. And there's two websites, Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs, you can find in Facebook and all of those places. But, but listen, most of the time I would preach this message and we would come just weeping and praying for the nations and it would be over. Some of you have heard these messages from 2014, 2017. This is normally, as a matter of fact, I copied a lot of this from my other notes. This is where it ends. But would you please keep scrolling now? This is not where it ends for us because now we have suffered. And God have mercy if I misrepresent our suffering. We have not maybe suffered in so many of those same ways. But I want you to play this beginning clip of a documentary being, uh, please play it, about the Nini's Deli situation. Uh, restart it and then turn up the sound. Restart it for me, please. Because persecution has happened here. Chicago's best. What makes Nini's truly Chicago best is our love for people and our love for our community. Every time I come in, they treat you like your family. I like that they're so personable. It's like being in your family's house. Kwani just makes this a really welcoming environment. We made a post saying we believe all lives matter because all lives are made in the image of God. And when I posted that, all hell broke loose. A popular deli in downtown Chicago is no longer in business after a campaign to destroy their business was launched when they didn't fully support the Black Lives Matter movement. And I let them know, if y'all are gonna come protest, we're gonna come preach. If you were standing next to Juan during that day, would you stand up, please, so that we can thank you for your courage, those of you who stood next to Juan? Thank you. This is what persecution now looks like in the West. And yes, there are those of the synagogue or the church of Satan that have slandered their names. And tried to say, you know, it was because you mixed Jesus into, into politics or you mixed Jesus into it. All you had to say was just BLM. All you had to do was just take a little bit of incense and say Caesar is Lord. That's all you had to do. Jose is married to an Afro-Latino, yet he's somehow racist. His children are Afro. Somehow, those who escaped from Cuba and our people of color who lived here before it was gentrified by white liberals somehow don't know the plight of minorities. And yet, they had no problems doing this to their business. Keep scrolling, please. When they saw that they were coming to church with us, they took a screenshot of our live feed and said, destroy the building. Destroy the building. Let me ask you a question. In this world... How close do you think that was to actually being done? Those who showed up that day could have been like those you saw from Nigeria. Let's keep going. They took a picture of our location, made sure everybody had the address. Keep going, please. And then look what they wrote. They are currently inside the church, front boarded, because we even came when it was boarded, and they went through the back. Get them. Get them. Let's keep going. They then began to spread lies about me. This is just, 
some of the lies, just how they began to take a hold of the media. The people who screamed at us never got doxxed or their jobs never got contacted, but we were contacted. We were, had lies spread about us. Lawyers were out there that day screaming at us, gay attorneys, gay women, screaming at us, acting as fools, lunging at us. Police had to move them away, and yet they were not, their job was not called. Our jobs were called. Ask the pastor about the church member that committed suicide after sleeping with his wife and what he has been arrested for. They literally made up things like they were writing fictional novels. My wife and I have had a beautiful marriage, no affair from my wife, and no one who has had a sad make-believe affair has committed suicide. But that was posted up for thousands to see. Keep going, please. They made a page. It's still there today. The Metro Praise International one that looks like that is not us. They then said, here's my, they tried to speak like uh, us to fool people. So they pretended to be us. We've asked Facebook to take it down at least 20 times. Facebook won't take it down. Yet how many of you have had a, a post taken down by Facebook? We told them so many different times, this is not us. They're putting our personal information. They have a picture of my house and my home address. Here's where our pastor lives in Elgin. Of course, if anything were to happen, they would be innocent because they didn't say anything. They just put my address up there, my personal home. Now watch what we got from some of our live feeds. As we tried to interact with them, not only did they come on and play porn when we tried to get them to interact with us, they said, I hope they burn your old church down, bunch of clowns. Someone should take one for the team BLM and knock his, his blank out. Send him to the kingdom he loves so much. Bomb that place and let their money talk. Keep going, please. Here's one that came to uh, Brother TJ. And out of respect for them because we still love and pray for our enemies, we're not putting their faces and their information here. He said, I'm going to burn you down, beat you up. He said, come to my Bible study, start calling them all these names. But go right on down to the beginning. He should have been aborted. Go on down to the end, please. He look at this. Go up right here. He says, if I catch any MEFers, MFers with a Metro shirt on, I'm going to treat you all like a gang and gangbang on you for spreading hate. So this guy thinks he's some warrior of love and peace now. Don't even see the hypocrisy to a black man in our church. Don't even see the hypocrisy here. But now notice this. I want everybody to get this because this is the sentiment. Everybody get this. Nobody is going to feel bad for you pieces of blank. Everybody get that. Nobody is going to feel bad for you. Do you understand how they come into the mind of a culture? You guys deserved it. You deserve this. Your children deserve Why were you bringing your children to that racist church anyways? That, yeah, they, they got burned alive when we threw a bomb and Maltel cocked off in there, you know, cocktail in there. But you know what? They should have never gone back to that church. That pastor was racist. We warned them, you pieces of. And see, some of us, let's be honest, we want to rise up and be violent with them to match their violence. Now, I believe in self-defense and, and, and all of those things. But understand this. We don't win it through violence, do we? We win it through preaching and continuing and so now I want to thank, and we can get that vulgar nonsense out of there. Please scroll that up. Sorry, you had to look at that. But we have to fight the battle against the devil. Because even though if we looked at that passage, it says they're going to go to prison, but it says the devil's going to put you in prison. But hold on, Jesus. You know, uh, I don't see the devil putting me in prison. I see my neighbor. 
Jesus, I see my neighbor's hand literally on my hand reporting me to the governor. I, I don't see the devil, but no, the, Jesus is reminding us it's the devil that's inspiring these people. And so we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against the powers and principalities of darkness that don't want the message to go to the Islamic people, that doesn't want the message to go to North Korea, that doesn't want the message to go to the south side, the west side, to your job, to your school. And so we have to understand we don't fight them the way they fight us. We bring the message of love through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be bold as lions, right? But we're going to be as harmless as doves, as the Bible says. We will not back down. We will be bold in the face of our adversaries. We will not shrink back. But we're not going to fight them. Because that isn't how we win this worldview war. And so today I want to ask you a question. What are you willing to give up for Jesus? The church of Smyrna was told, you're going to face this for 10 days. We faced it for one day. Of course, it continued on for a little bit. But what are you willing to give for Jesus? I had them come live to the first service, but it had technical difficulties. So I asked them to record a video for us. Would you guys take a few moments and be inspired by those now who have started a church in Dallas and are doing great things for God? Thank you, my brother. MPI Chicago, God bless you guys. It's the Riesco family here from MPI Dallas. And we just wanted to share a little bit of our testimony about being persecuted for the gospel. Uh, we have our sister Christina who's going to kick it off. Yeah, thank you guys so much for your love, your prayers, and your support. It means a lot to us. When we left, pretty much we left with just the stuff that we had. We didn't know if people were going to come in an hour or two hours, whatever the case may be. I remember going into our apartment, our new apartment here, and just having carpet and telling my girls, um, you know, like, let's pray, because they're like, we don't have any, any place to sleep. You know, what are we going to sleep on? Where are we going to, what are we going to do? And I said, well, praise the Lord for carpet, because other people in other countries, they don't have carpet. They sleep on dirt. They sleep on the ground. And so we began to pray, and within two days, the Lord filled our home with everything that we had needed, you know, even more stuff than what we had left behind. And so all these things in life, they're so temporary, but, you know, um, those who do the will of Father, that, that is eternal. We're storing our riches, our treasures up in heaven. And I want to thank you all for standing with us and supporting our family um, through your loves, prayer, and support. And we're so blessed, you know. Um, thank you guys so much for that. Amen. And I would just like to say, I was so encouraged by the book of Acts and so many verses, especially one that this one comes to mind a lot. Uh, Paul is told, do not be afraid, keep speaking. So I was encouraged by that. Man, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to keep speaking. We're going to keep preaching. And I tell y'all that. Do not be afraid. Keep speaking. Keep preaching. And think about what Paul was promised. Paul was promised prison and hardships by the Holy Spirit. So let's have the heart of Paul. Uh, he says in Acts 20 that his only aim is to finish the race and to testify uh, about the good news of God's grace. We've been able to do that by God's grace. To come here, to start a church, and to continue to testify about the grace of God. Amen. And I just wanted to share how this whole experience has really just grown our heart of thankfulness for the things that we do have. Um, you know, the life that we had before everything happened at Nini's, um, we had a lot of things, but, you know, that really doesn't matter. It really allowed That's us right. to just see God and look ahead into the narrow road that he has prepared before us. And we're just so thankful that he continues to show us how this was all a part of his plan. Um, as th things come about, he just continues to have favor over 
both of our families over the walkers here and we're so thankful that we can see um, God's plans come about in our lives and what he had um, planned before uh, people started rioting and so the devil really thought that he had us there but God said well if you think this is gonna happen I'll, I will go and plant another church here Amen. in the nation Amen. so we're thankful for that that's right we are so grateful to be the second church of uh, the MPI vision um, and strategy and goal is what I meant to say um, and I think what the Lord has been speaking to me is that um, times have always been uncertain something that we say a lot right now is uncertain times uncertain times uncertain times you know we hear that from pulpits we hear that from friends and family and what I noticed is that we really have no certainty in this life our only certainty however, is in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may all things that we are certain in in this life be filtered through that, because really nothing else is certain. None of us are certain of our next breath. None of us are certain of our next meal. But we are certain in our salvation because Jesus overcame death for us all. And so uh, MPI Chicago, we love you guys. Be encouraged to preach the gospel boldly, uh, to, to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ to your neighbor, and to serve God faithfully to the very end. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Woo, come on, give it up for them. Doesn't that encourage you? And let's, let's make it real as Vinny comes up. You're now living it with us. It's not over yet. Have you borne persecution? Have your friends and family said things about you? We have some now that still say when a group picture is taken, I can't be a part of that. My job may find out. My baby mama might find out and try to take away my kids, you know. And you put on top of this the things that we had already with COVID and the neighborhood protesting us. It's been a rough year when it comes to how we've got along with our city. But I'll tell you what, God has never been better to us. He has blessed us in so many ways. We were able to prosper and save more money than we ever did. We were able to send out more missionaries, more monies to the people doing the gospel, supporting the underground churches. We were able to send one of our pastors to be with those families over there. And another testimony was one of our families had already moved to Florida for different reasons, but when they saw this, something in their heart said, I have to go where the Riascos are. So we have the Vitalis that have now joined them in Dallas. Amen? So while other people were running away, many were running too. I look at, you know, different ones who came to the church, especially our African-American brothers and sisters who said, hey, man, what they're preaching is what I've been preaching. If you've got a problem with them, you've got a problem with me. I love that we've seen other churches stand by us and come alongside of us and say, I stand by that church. Pastor Ruiz down the road, Kenny Ruiz of the um, uh, the Brickyard Church, he stands by us. Other pastors from the south side, you know, there's different ones I could start naming right here. But they called me. They stood by me. They made posts. They say, we stand with Metro Praise. There's nothing here to be ashamed of. We, we're, we're standing for the gospel. And I just want to say this just in case you ever meet a former MPI person and they want to tell you that slander they got from the church of Satan. I want you first and foremost to understand we forgive them and hold nothing against them. And we have room in our hearts for them to come back. But this is what I would say to any of them. Even if they say, well, Jose said this, and Juan did this, and Joe on the live feed did this, I would just ask them this simple question, just a simple question. If you and I are friends, 
and I've made a mistake, and the bully comes after me, are you still going to let the bully hit me and beat me up and do all that to me? Or are you going to defend me from the bully and say, hey, man, maybe he did something wrong, but hey, don't beat him up. How, this is what I have to say from the bottom of my heart as a pastor. How could you let people bully your friend? How could you do that? Now, here's what I say as a clear conscience and to let you know accountability. Our elders, elders who have been over me for over 20 plus years, my closest friends who are peers, who can tell me as it is, the missionaries like Gene and Tisa, not only said, did you not do any wrong, but they said, we're proud of you. And we tell your story at the churches we visit and the churches we pastor. But even if those people were right, how could you let somebody get bullied and chased out of their own store? I had people, that happened on a Friday. I had people that were leaders in our church on a Saturday hand me their resignations, never asking me how we were, never wanting to have a discussion to even discuss what they might have thought we did wrong. It was just, we're done. Some people talk about, you know, how Metro Praise is like a cult and like this and that. If standing by the person you love is a cult, then I guess I'm a cult leader. But I'm not going to let you come against somebody's business and me stand back and do anything. Some people even said to me, they said, well, you could have done that, Joe. This is really what they said, some people who left our church. They said, you could have defended Juan because it didn't involve us at first. Please, everybody understand this. I jumped into that thing like those people jumped into the kiln in the arenas. You listen to me. We didn't have to jump in. I could have just said, Juan, we're, we're praying for you. Don't mind us walking back away, but we're praying for you, Juan. Juan, we're praying for you over here. No, no. I asked his permission, though. I said, Juan, do you want me to do a live feed? And I went on a live feed. This is what one of the people said to me. They said, why did you have to do it from the church page? Just do it from your page, they said. I said, because I thought the whole church stood with him. I didn't think you would be ashamed of me doing that. I thought you would actually be proud to say Metro Praise is speaking about the situation. So brothers and sisters, you, hear my heart today, have become our treasures. When you came back the next Sunday, and trust me, we were all a little scared too. I think the first couple of Sundays after we took the boards off, it was just the men coming, you know, and a few of the crazy sisters that were like, I'm willing to die. I don't have any kids right now or whatever. I'm willing to die. Even Tina had kids. She just said, I'm just willing to die. Where's Tina at? Right there. She said, I'm coming. I'm a mom. I got a young one. I'm still coming. Because I literally said, just men and then women with maybe no children. And then Tina's like, what about women with children but are crazy for Jesus willing to die? I'm like, you can come. <laughs> and what you hear from Desi from this pulpit, she was the one in that picture that said, burn the building down. She wasn't afraid to keep singing, right? But you came. You came. You came. You know, you came back. The church filled up, and now we're growing like never before. I don't, I don't have time to read all of these, but, but maybe this week, would you take time to go back over the notes? Look at what the world has suffered, even more than us, even more than us. And then look at what we've suffered and what maybe you have suffered. And then just read these scriptures. Just scroll all the way down to the bottom for them, please. Just look at how many I prepared for you. I could, do, I could stop the series on Revelation and just do a detour on persecution 
just from that verse alone, that you will be persecuted, and then come back a year later. I mean, there are so many passages. Let me just read this one, please. Go up to the Corinthians one. This one I felt personally a lot. Already, you have all you want. This is what I felt like when I was talking to my friends that were saying it was Juan's fault, Jose's fault, my fault. Can you believe that we actually had conversations like that? Not even asking how we're doing, asking are they safe. They had people threatening them because their business had shared cell phones and iPads and stuff. People knew where they were going. It was not stopping, right? No one's even asking me, but I had pastors debating me about whether or not it was real persecution. This is what I felt like. I'm not saying I've gone through it like Paul and others, but please hear Paul here. He goes, already you have all you want, mega church, or you pastor over here. You have all become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I really wish you had begun to reign so that I could reign with you. I wish it was the kingdom of God on earth, and we were all kings and princes and having yellow brick roads. I really wish we could have that. For it seems to me that God has put us, apostles, on display at the end of the procession. Remember, think of the Roman Empire. The end of procession are the ones they're dragging in to die. Because we've been put at the end, like those condemned to die in the arena. This is literally what I felt. Pastors, you're being applauded by the mayor as you hand out groceries with your mask and you're doing the BLM talk. Then the mayor comes to us and drags us through the entire city and puts us in front of the news and shames us, and you're just sitting there saying nothing. Paul says, we're condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you're so wise. Listen to what he's saying. I, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm the, the sharpest tool in the shed, but getting my doctorate, now having it complete, but during that time, pastoring over 20 years, these guys were so much smarter than me. They just knew how to politically maneuver and just come out squeaky clean. I'm just such an idiot. Jesus is Lord. Look at me just being an idiot. Boy, you just T.D. Jakes. You just know how to maneuver this. You're so wise. Man, you guys are so wise. I'm just, I'm just the bubbling idiot. Jesus is Lord, heaven or hell, man. We are weak, but you're strong. We're wearing hoodies and jeans, not only because it's comfortable, because it's easy to run in. <laughs> you know, one person visited our church and gave us a bad review and said they locked the doors. Yeah, because people have said they're going to blow it up. <laughs> We're not sure yet. We're going to unlock it yet. We're going to have a greeter there watching you come in, maybe pat you down every now and then. Yeah, you guys are so strong. You guys look so good between, uh, behind those pristine glass pulpits without a care in the world to sashaying across your stages about how Jesus is the answer, and it's so easy to preach. I'm sorry that I feel weak sometimes coming here with my family. Sorry. You are honored here's so-and-so pastor handed out a thousand PPEs has been the number one talk person for BLM they are the greatest person they have been given an award from Joe Biden President Biden wow you're so honored we're dishonored to this very hour and this is where I say Paul I followed you up to there but now I can't this is where I know it's gone harder so much harder may God be with all of them who are experiencing this right now to this very hour we're hungry and thirsty. 
like those in India right now, in Pakistan, Malaysia, Indonesia, the Christians who have been denied rights from their own government and culture. We're in rags. We are being brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. We bless our mayor. We bless our governor. We bless those who have slandered us. We bless those who have uh, threatened us. We are persecuted. We endure it. We are slandered. We answer kindly. Listen to what Paul said. Please highlight this, my brother, that last part. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this present moment. I believe I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. I know I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I know greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But listen, I will not deny that confession as well. To the world, we're just pieces of blank that nobody would matter. Nobody would care. To them, right? But to Jesus, we are his treasures. We are his treasures. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, please. One more goodie. The hall of faith. Yeah, go to Hebrews chapter 11, way at the bottom, way at the bottom. After it says they were in caves and they had to, yeah, right there. You were right there. That's awesome. Yeah, right there. Look at this. Go up a little bit more. Say verse 37 of chapter 11. Verse 37. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, hiding, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And highlight this passage right here, this part. Please, verse 38. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of our Christian brothers and sisters who have given their life to spread the gospel. Going back to the notes, Nate Saint and a few others started doing airplane rides to the jungles of Ecuador, all the, way, all the way to the bottom, please. Thank you. And they would fly in and reach the indigenous people. You know what people now say? We had this on our live feeds. One of our women has been a missionary and established an orphanage in South Africa and in Mozambique. You know what they called her? They said, you white colonizer. No respect even for missionaries anymore. No respect. You're a white colonist. That's what they would have called these guys. Why are you even going to the jungles of Ecuador? Their religion is beautiful. Not to the people being cannibalized. Not to the people going to hell. That's what their own people say because they ended up getting saved. There's a good part of the story, but they would fly in and get to know the people, fly out, use you know, sign language, use gifts. But for whatever reason, the tribal leader, he thought the last time they came to visit, it was for conquer. And they killed the four missionaries that were there. And everybody would say, what a waste. These young adults flying into this indigenous people. That's, you, you deserve that. Why would you even mess with their culture anyways? But you know what happened? The man who was responsible for killing two of the deaths, the tribal leader, ended up giving his life to Jesus. Ended up renouncing the sin that his culture was doing and said if it wasn't for them, we would never have known the true God of the Bible. He traveled all around. He shared the story about how thankful he was. And the son of the missionary, <clears throat> get choked up here, Nate Saint's son, he adopted as his own son. Just put that up. Nate Saint's son with, I forget the gentleman's name, just Nate Saint's son 
and then do a Google search and you'll see him with the tribal leader. This tribal leader uh, adopted him and they would go around the world talking about the importance of missions. But see, now no one thinks it's important. Juan shouldn't have preached. Oh, who cares about Christianity? Jose shouldn't have preached. You guys shouldn't go in front of those high schools anyways. If a gangbanger shoots you guys, that's what you deserve because you went in front of that high school. And you know what? If you go to Boys Town, you go there to Belmont and Clark and tell them that they're going to hell. You know what? You deserve to go to hell with them. You guys don't have any rights. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll cry right now. Click on the one in the middle, please. Top middle. Top middle. Give it as big as you can. I can't help but think about my son, Lucas. And let's put it in the context here. If I died on the south side because a gang wanted to kill me, like the drug cartels are killing people in Colombia, but it led to this, I would lay my life down for it. So that Lucas or Titus may not know me as well as they normally would, but everything they would ever need to know about me, they would hear it from this man. Because the gospel is what's most important about me. That's the man who murdered his father. That's the man. But they became brothers. And they became missionaries together to lay down their lives for Jesus. Going back to Nate, uh, Jim Elliott, please, the notes. Thank you, my brother. Going back to the notes. This is what he wrote right before he died on the mission field. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose. Let me read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Did you all get it that time? Amen. We're not fools. We're not fools. They may call us fools, but we're fools for Christ. But we're really not foolish when you think about it. We are giving our lives for what we know we can't keep. We can't take these uh, treasures with us. So we're really not fools because we're gaining what we can have for eternity. I talked to my one friend from Raven Team about why was he still reaching the homeless during the COVID. He never shut down. He had more faith than me. We shut down for about a month. He just kept going. I said, have you guys had COVID? He said, yeah, we've probably all had it two or three times. You know, so his people were getting sick and all that. But I'm like, why are you reaching them? He said, because like the missionaries of old, it's important that they know, so we have to go. If I die, I go to heaven. These homeless people, they don't know Jesus maybe. They don't know him. I have to go so they know. And it just hit me like, oh, my gosh, it's that important. It's that important that we go and do these things. It's that important that we tell our coworkers about Christ, our family about Christ. It's that important that we tell our city about Christ. Yeah, we might have lost a lot of their favor. They may not like us right now. But yes, they get to know Jesus. And guess what? For 300 years, the Roman Empire killed Christians, but we didn't die. We kept multiplying until Christianity reached the emperor. And the emperor Constantine bowed his knee to Jesus and the Roman Empire became Christian. We will see nations changed. So what are we saying back to the Nigerians? Keep preaching, brothers. Keep preaching, sisters. What are we saying to those in Indonesia? Keep preaching. And what do I hear them saying back to us? I hear them saying back to us from China, from North Korea, keep preaching Metro Praise. Keep preaching the gospel. We'll meet you in heaven. And we'll tell the story of the gospel, what Jesus did. 
Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today one more time? He's the hero of the story. It's all about him. Band and altar workers, would you come please?